Welcome to episode one of Solidarity Cast with your host, Elle. This is a new podcast where I attempt to find lessons from history to help us all navigate the American Cheetoocracy. I would encourage you to listen to my brief intro episode for a fuller picture of what this podcast is all about. For this episode, I read most of Volker Ulrich's book entitled Hitler Ascent, 1889-1939. You probably saw the New York Times review of this book by Michiko Kakatani pop up over your various feeds, and that's actually where I got the idea to look through this book. Um, This episode, I'm going to try to address whether the comparison between our current president and Hitler is fair, and also go on to explore whether the United States today is like Germany was in 1932. If you're not well-versed in the history of the Weimar Republic, it was established in 1918. Prior to that, Germany was an empire. So Germany only had a Republican government for a short time, about 14 years. It was a parliamentary system. There was a Reichstag with a chancellor, and there was also a president president could dissolve the Reichstag pretty much whenever, so long as new elections were held within 60 days. The president could also, in times of danger to the public safety, take measures, I don't know if you heard the air quotes in my voice there, including suspending civil rights. So the president had very broad power in the Weimar Republic. The Weimar Republic was, however, designed to be a liberal democracy. In fact, the preamble to its constitution reads, The German people, united in its tribes and inspired with the will to renew and strengthen its realm in liberty and justice, to serve internal and external peace, and to promote social progress, has adopted this constitution. So this was the system of government of the Germany that Hitler came to power in. As you may be aware, the German economy was decimated by reparations after World War I. This was caused by what many considered to be unfair terms in the Treaty of Versailles, and Hitler in particular blamed this on the Marxists, one of his euphemisms for Jews. Hitler was a soldier during the war and became politically involved afterwards. Hitler built himself a name in the beer halls of Munich. He was a very effective speaker, and even those who disagreed with him vehemently would go to see him speak because it was always a good show. In 1923, he led a failed pooch, which is a coup, and was charged with treason. He was imprisoned, and that's where he wrote his famous book. He actually appreciated the negative press he got from this event as it got his party into the papers, because by by this time, the German economy was actually doing better. This period became known as the Golden Twenties. Unemployment decreased, the currency stabilized, creativity and progress thrived. And then the Great Depression hit. U.S. banks pulled back loans and unemployment soared. So in this time of uncertainty, both politically and economically, a portion of the German people looked to the National Socialists as their saviors. These Germans demanded a strong man, a political messiah, who would lead Germany out of misery and point the way towards renewed national greatness. In particular, voters from the middle class radicalized, fearing dropping down the social ladder, and this pushed them into Nazis' hands. As Thomas Mann was quoted in Ascent, 
People had turned away from the fundamental principles of a civil society, liberty, equality, education, optimism, and belief in progress and faith and reason to embrace the forces of an unconscious, of unthinking dynamicism and pernicious creativity which rejected everything intellectual. Carried by a gigantic wave of barbarism and populist fairground barking, National Socialists pursued a politics of their grotesque. Ulrich warns against looking at it like that, that seeing it in such a perspective misses what was novel about the Nazi movement, that it wasn't just the decline of this or that class that helped the Nazis excel, but rather the movement's diffuse character as a populist party enabled it to integrate heterogeneous interests and subordinate them to the charismatic figure of the Fuhrer. Hitler was seen as a national savior, that he could lead the country to new prosperity. And all the while, the left believed the Nazis would be undone by their own incompetence if they ever even came into power. Gee, doesn't that sound familiar? So I do think that there are some similarities between Hitler's rise and Cittolini's ascent to the presidency. I do think they both relied on crisis rhetoric and continued to rely on crisis rhetoric even when the facts didn't bear out a crisis situation. Even during the Golden Twenties, you know, Hitler would still say unemployment was absurdly high. I think in one speech he claimed it was 12 million when at that time it was actually closer to 2 million. They also both were really effective at propaganda. Besides lying, they also used mantra-like phrases, monotonous repetition of accusations, vows of revenge, and promises for the future. Additionally, they both appealed to racists. At times, Hitler toned down his blaming the situation on the Jews. Instead, he would use euphemisms like, financial spiders. But anyone who had really followed Hitler knew that he very much blamed the situation in Germany on the quote-unquote Jewish problem. He also went to great lengths to blame the quote-unquote Weimar system. Whatever the hell that means, but it sounds very similar to the Washington Swamp. But I do think that the two men have some real differences in their personalities. For one, Hitler liked to read and learn. Uh, He thought knowledge was important, and in fact, he spent a great deal of time lobbying to get the Ministry of Popular Education. Granted, this was for the purpose of propaganda, but he acknowledged that learning was key and very important something that is clearly not the situation today. One additional clear distinction between the personalities of these two men is that Hitler loved puppies and his mother. And when I say he loved his mother, I mean he really, really worshipped her. He looked up to her, he admired her, and her death destroyed him. And some say that he spent a lot of his adult life trying to find surrogate mothers. He had friendships with older women quite a few of older women. 
And it's not like Hitler was some kind of feminist or something. He definitely believed in strict gender roles for Nazi women, that they were their role was to breed Nazi children. And he did think that there was a difference between men and women. But he didn't have contempt for women. He wasn't a misogynist. He didn't think that they were subhuman. He just thought that they had a different role to play. Perhaps one that wasn't important in quite the same way as men's role to, you know, run the show. But he did really think that their role was also important. Without them, you didn't have Nazi children being raised the Nazi way. And this is something that obviously we don't have coming from the current administration. He doesn't have much of any respect for women. I mean, this is obvious. I don't even think I need to really belabor this point. I also can't see him loving puppies or his mother. I don't even know what his mother's name is. I know who his father is. I've heard about his childhood, but I've not heard a thing about his mother. So it might be a a small thing, apropos of very little, but I I do think it, it is a bit noteworthy. I mean, at the very least, it shows that, you know, Hitler was capable of love. He had monstrous beliefs and did monstrous things, but he wasn't a robot. I'm actually having a bit of a hard time getting at what I'm trying to say without it sounding like I'm complimenting Hitler. I just think that there are some few good points. I don't even want to say that. I mean, comparing him with in some ways I don't think in terms of actions because you know the current president hasn't yet done monstrous things but I think just basing off of their personality disposition if you will there are a few small areas where Hitler seems like a better person yeah I'm saying that I mean, at the very least, you could say that Hitler cared about things outside of himself. He really cared about Germany, and he thought that his perverse plans was what was best for the German people. He respected the landscape of Germany. Um, He would not have sold it off to the highest bidder. He respected art. He really loved art. I mean, we have all heard that. Um, and music, and he was able to essentially connect to things outside of himself. I think there were that, you know, Hitler had a line that he wouldn't cross. And I really can't say the same thing about the orange supremacist in the Oval Office. Moreover, Hitler was an idealist as his friends would call him, and an ideologue as the rest of us who strongly disagreed with his views would call him. He he had very strong convictions in his beliefs. And in fact, a lot of people attributed his charisma to his strong convictions. He had unwavering political goals, but not so much because he wanted to see himself aggrandized. More so, he really strongly believed in what he was saying and wanted to pursue it and wanted to succeed at it. This is obviously very different from the narcissist in the Oval Office. I don't think Trump really believes in anything. I don't even think he believes in himself. I think he is a classic narcissist, which also includes deep down inside knowing he's incompetent 
And I think you could see that all over his face on election night and when he met with Barack Obama for the first time. But I think that this distinction between the two men, that Hitler had strong beliefs, is actually what will save us from a similar fate. I don't think that the majority of Germans wanted or believed that all of the Jews should be exterminated. I I don't think that even those who blamed the Jews for their problems probably didn't feel that they should be killed. But I think what happened was is you had someone in power who was relentless and didn't give up on this. And at a certain point, things just snowballed out of control. And it seemed impossible for a regular person in Germany to resist. I think where we have hope is that our president doesn't stay on message long enough for there to be a snowballing situation. He constantly changes his mind. It's unclear what he actually will accomplish. It's unclear that the hateful rhetoric that he spouted during the campaign trail will actually find its way into policy. No one knows what he's going to do. But weirdly, I think that's what will help us because if he's so inconsistent, we're sort of constantly on edge. That will keep us from normalizing any of his bullshit. So I am hopeful in that respect that this will, you know, prove to save us. This was perhaps a bit ambitious for a first episode. Besides the fact that the book is really, really large, it also goes into great detail. Really, really drags you into the weeds. If you want to know what Hitler and Goering were doing on December 15th, 1932, it's probably in there. There's probably Goering's diary quoted for you. There's a lot of back and forth conversations, what happened one day to the next, leading up to Hitler getting the chancellorship. I'm more of a broad strokes, forest, big picture kind of gal. I'm not really into nitty gritty details like that, so I had a hard time getting through this book. Um, A book this detailed probably should get a close look treatment, but that is not my bag. So that's not what I did. (laughs) So where does that leave us? Well, with respect to whether I think Pussy Grabber in Chief is the new Hitler, I'm not so sure. I think there are some definite comparisons between the two. There are ways in which they are similar. Most notably, they are both very effective propagandists. Trump was a salesman. Hitler was too. And of course, there's also the fact that they're both nationalists, racists, bigots, who attempted to convince an entire population that minorities were responsible for all of their ills. But where they're different, I think, is where we have a higher chance of resisting. Trump doesn't really believe in anything, and I think he's manipulable because he doesn't really have any strong convictions, and I think he changes his mind so much that there's not a chance for anything to get out of hand. We can stop things before they snowball out of control. So I I do feel that that main difference between them is what will save us. With respect to whether America today is like the Weimar Republic in 1932, 
I see some similarities, but I do think that our foundational document is much stronger. I think that we do have stronger checks and balances. That being said, they're not invincible. Um, I think a lot of Americans think that our founders set up the Constitution 200-something years ago and set it up so brilliantly that the checks and balances just take care of themselves, like it's a perpetual motion machine. They put it together once and then they never have to think about it again. I don't think that's true, and I think that assumption could lead us down to the same fate as the Weimar Republic, because our democracy is not a perpetual motion machine. It requires tending to, it requires maintenance. I am, however, hopeful that this disastrous administration will get those kinds of people to realize this. I think it's been very easy for middle-class, white, side-gender individuals to think and assume that our Constitution and its rights just work because theirs are never really infringed upon, and then to look at others when they complain as just whiners. Uh, I think this administration will be a wake-up call to those kinds of people that the rights don't just automatically work on their own for everyone equally. So I, I am hopeful that there might be something positive that comes out of this administration that could just be naive. I'm generally not a naive person. I'm usually pretty cynical, but I think at this time it's important to hold out hope. I think another significant difference between the U.S. and the Weimar Republic is the multi-party system. This is a very complicated issue, and I do think I might in a future episode explore the various kinds of party systems and the pros and cons to having either a two-party system or a multi-party system. But um, with respect to the Weimar Republic, you know, when you have multiple parties in a parliament, they have to wheel and deal to make coalitions to get anything done, and Hitler really took advantage of that, and he persisted, and it took multiple tries, but eventually he got there, he got to the right people to convince them to convince President Hindenburg to make him chancellor, and in a two-party system, that kind of thing can't really happen. So I, I do think that Having the entrenched two-party system, while it has its own downfalls, I'm not saying it's great. I'm not even saying it's maybe better. What I am saying is that the situation that occurred that enabled Hitler to get the chancellorship is much less likely to happen in a two-party system. Um, again, I do think I might revisit this topic in a future episode, and it is a very complicated one, so I do want to sort of give it the attention it deserves. I also think our country has been a republic for much, much longer, and I don't think that you can simply dismiss that. You know, Germany was only a republic for a bit over a decade. That's not a very long foundation in democracy. Uh, so we do have a much stronger history of that. Which brings me to next time. Next time, I will be relying on Tom Holland's Rubicon, The Fall of the Roman Republic. The Roman Republic was around for close to a thousand years and still managed to fall. So, if you want to read this at home, it's a really well-written narrative book, so it's a pretty easy read, um, so I do encourage you to do so. I encourage you to tweet at me at SolidarityCast or email me, SolidarityCast at gmail.com. Um, your constructive criticism, your differing views, maybe we could start a conversation. 
For those of you cleverer than me, please do send me your synonyms for our current president so I don't have to keep repeating Cheeto and Chief for ripping off Sam B and Jezebel. I'll give you credit, don't worry. Until next time, stay tuned. <laughs>